Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. I'm Jason Odell. I'm Rick Walker. And it is nice to be back with all our listeners again today. Um, we've got some fun things to talk about this week. Also, some housekeeping things, uh, because it's pretty unlikely we're going to be able to have an episode next week. Isn't isn't that right, Rick? We both have some some travel. Yeah. So we'll probably miss you for one week, and then we will be back again um, the following week, which I think is going to be, oh, March uh, 11th would be the next Saturday. So look for that episode at that time. Mm -hmm. As uh, You're going to go on vacation. I've got two birding workshops back-to-back in Florida. And And uh, we're also doing a workshop in Tucson. Right. So... But that'll be by the time you hear this podcast, we'll probably be down in Tucson doing we said will. workshop. And the stuff that we're going to talk about today tangentially relates to that, although uh, not not directly. But it's a it's an important component of of our workshop. It gave us a little inspiration. So just this week, we looked at the calendar and realized that February twentieth, which was Monday would have been Ansel Adams' 121st birthday. He was born February 20th, 1902. And uh, he's one of our favorite photographers, as a lot of people are. It's kind of, He's almost a cliche favorite photographer yeah. at this point, you know, unfortunately. But, um, but we, it gave us a little thought on, on our topic for, for this week. Um, so we wanted to, you know, acknowledge, of course, uh, his influence on what we do but then we'll talk more about our main topic, which is black and white monochrome, black and white. Yes. Awesome stuff. That is uh, awesome. And we've talked about it before, but it's been a while. So I think it's always a good idea to dust off um, what new things we, we may have learned um, and how software may have changed or how our processing may differ. But um, you know, you, you know, you followed historically a little bit more, about Ansel's life than, than I have, but I have a bunch of his books, which are actually still relevant today in some, in some aspects. And I have um, the same books too. And so let's just talk a little bit about why we consider him important. I mean, it, it, gorgeous photographs, iconic photographs. Um, you, you don't need to go very far to find them. <laughs> you know, they're, no, they're I, I've probably mentioned it, but the way it started for me was when I was in junior high and just look, and I was, kind of had a surge of interest in in photography i started using an slr a few years before that and um so i was just going through the school library and and trying to learn more about photography and there was a a series of books put out by the time life corporation that were actually pretty decent and included in there were some ansel adams photos and I, I can still remember some of them that I saw in there and um, they were just breathtaking. They really, they really grab you. Oh my gosh. His, his images have drama. an impact. Yeah. They, they, they deliver such an impact. I mean, the, the landscape is stunning. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to know that places like Yosemite are just incredibly beautiful, mm-hmm. but to render them the way he did at that time, was unlike what other, you know, unlike other work coming out at the same time. And then, you know, he developed this whole system of, you know, obviously 
I would say the majority of his work was using large format, you know, eight by 10 view mm -hmm. camera type stuff, which is a different beast altogether. Right. Something, something that we're not doing these days, but, uh, you know, but his whole approach, I think, you know, cause when you look at what went into the execution of his photographs and he's someone who was willing to share his techniques, you know, as to, with others, rather than having it be some sort of secret sauce, um, that some people could do, you know, I did stuff in the dark room and I made this better and be very secretive about it. There's a certain degree of openness among photographers with sharing techniques and things. And he really did. And of course, published on this very topic. One of the things I think is really interesting is um, more so than a lot of people, he really balanced the artistic side of photography with really at the time, extraordinarily technical stuff too and pulled it off because mm -hmm. sometimes people get into the technical nitnoid things and just get lost and you know just lose track of any kind of artistic right um, um, slant to their images um, and then some people are you know really good creatively but kind of sloppy boy he was just so balanced it was kind of remarkable yeah. And what I think back, you know, and if you think back to shooting, you know, eight by 10 black and white negatives with a view camera, mm -hmm. the, the entire process was just incredibly important to be meticulous. You know, it, it required an attention to detail to get those kind of images um, from just setting up the camera, but, but to knowing exposure times and dealing with, you know, the light metering technology wasn't, you know, wasn't the same. Um, and the whole process that, that he had to use starting from, you know, just composition and then exposure, getting something on the negative that he could then, you know, turn into a print. And then, you know, the back end, the whole, the whole darkroom process isn't something that was particularly accessible to, everyday people in, on that scale. I mean, you might've had a little black and white dark room back in the day and, and done some of this, but he was operating on a much, much larger scale. And, and I recall, you know, he would go out and he'd set up his tripod on top of his big station wagon with a platform on top. So he could get a high angle, which has always made me jealous. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, he might only have four or five pieces of film. And each one of them was potentially processed differently to handle a different tonal range, you know, either be processed to be lower contrast or higher contrast, just the negative, mm -hmm. never mind the print. Right. You know, he was expanding and compressing tones to fit the image that he visualized. And, you know, the, it's a concept that holds true today. If you shoot raw and, you're using a lot of the software tools, really what you're doing. Like if you um, use a curves tool and clip the ends, you're, you're, you're um, compressing the range or expanding it by, yeah. by those well, adjustments and getting well, let, real blacks or real whites or grays where you want them, all of those things. Let, let, yeah. Let's just talk about that for a second. Cause I think it's a, it's a really excellent concept. Um, you know, shooting raw with our cameras, is is like having an un, unexposed uh, or an unprocessed negative in a way mm -hmm. we, we refer to it Very that much way so. but 
you know, his series of books, the, the three books, the, the camera, the negative, the print, all of them have analogs into the digital world. You know, the idea of your camera settings and what aperture do you use and what depth of field do you want to get and pre-visualizing, et cetera. And then, you know, how do you expose the film? Or in this case, how do you expose the sensor? And I know that for, for a lot of stuff, um, we like to expose, uh, to push the shadows to the right a little bit, um, to, to, you know, what some people might call overexposing, but you know, not it's going, not. it's not, but it's, it's definitely shifting your exposure to Sometimes the right. Sometimes exposing to the right is underexposing yeah. by the you know, view of a lot of people. It just depends. It's so, just taking advantage of what the sensor can do. Right. But the idea is when you shoot that way, okay, you're doing so with the expectation that what comes out of your camera will not be the finished product. Nope. You will then by necessity adjust the exposure uh, to be correct, to put the tones in the right places. And then to do stuff that you mentioned, which is be to expand or shrink the dynamic range potentially, um, through, through post. And, and that's the approach that we've talked about in the past, this idea that the image that you start visualizing in your head and then has to get translated through a camera and captured onto a sensor. Well, instead of exposing film, we're just capturing you know, data on the sensor, but there's different ways that data can be captured by your camera, depending on what your exposure settings are and, you know, doing things like longer exposures to blur waterfalls or all of those things are important things to consider without just clicking a button first. So it's mm -hmm. just, um, I, I think we both sort of subscribe to that, that philosophy. Mm -hmm. We just do it with more modern, stuff you know it's not about going out and shooting an eight by ten view camera <laughs> no, or, no or whatever but i, I almost think... went down that path a long long time ago probably wouldn't have been an eight by ten but god it was it was a lot of work yeah yeah well you know we've talked about how that can be yeah. how that can be useful now fast forward to now um black and white is easy to forget about sometimes because when you capture almost everything comes out of your camera in color uh, at least when you, you know, traditionally, and there's ways to set your camera to, to capture monochrome, but that's not really the same. Um, it, not something we would recommend doing other than for the pre-visualization part, if you were saying. And using I think a, it's, and I think it's valid for that. I think it can be a useful way to see the scene um, in just, ter in, in terms of just tones, um, because colors can sometimes fool you. Right. Um, so I think it, to me, in a mirrorless camera, as long as you're shooting raw and you're able to keep all the colors in the end image, it's, it's, a, it's a nice tool for visualizing mm -hmm. things. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. If you shoot in raw and you bring it into a tool, uh, a raw processor, whether it's a third party or your camera, whatever, you can easily just change it back to one of the color profiles, one of the color... Sure color modes and you have all that color data and um color is actually very important we'll get to in a minute but i think if 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 you like the ansel adams look one of the things when you're processing your your color image what you don't want to do is you don't want to just say click you know either monochrome or 
even worse, like desaturate, <laughs> right? And, right. And because you'll just get this sort of very flat looking, uninspiring image. And you, you made a good point. There was no fear of having black shadows be black, like and just going into nothingness on the part of Ansel's um, no, uh, process. He, he, he did not fear contrast. He used it to his advantage. And, and that is something that I see um, some photographers struggling with where because we have such great cameras um, with enormous dynamic range, they try to make sure that there's always plenty of shadow detail and maybe that's good, but sometimes it's bad, you know, yeah. sometimes just going right to black and having the shadows completely blocked up and very graphical is exactly the right thing to do. Absolutely. Um, another thing, you know, you and I both love uh, being able to make localized adjustments. Mm -hmm. and, in, and in Ansel's case, this would have just been simple dodging and burning. And I say simple just because the tools were rudimentary at the time, but what he did was actually was quite complex. Times. Yeah, it was quite, quite, quite complex. And, you know, we have a luxury of being able to go look at your photo and if you want you can even make a copy of it and do it process it in an alternative way and or go back and undo if you're using tools that are non-destructive that's fantastic but the idea that what comes out of the camera is the finished product again it is it's just it's not going to work most of the time the camera doesn't know that the object in the foreground is something that you want to enhance and therefore needs to be a little brighter or a little more colorful or whatever it might be. And then this other area in the back needs to be diminished a little bit. Um, and it's, it's a really nice time to consider that when you're, when we process monochrome from color, the color data doesn't go away and not until you actually, you know, save a monochrome copy of it but as long as your files in that raw format those colors are there and a lot of black and white software takes advantage of those colors and it's an incredibly powerful tool uh to be able to make selections select things by color select things you know but not just their tones so so having a color image that can then be converted into black and white is something that um is really really cool um and in ansel adams time you know, the film, the rendering of, um, that the film did of tones was a little bit different. Um, but the other thing that he would use and other photographers would use are colored filters over the lenses. And, mm -hmm. you know, the classic Ansel Adams look is what you get with a red filter, which will darken the sky. Um, things that are orangish or reddish will become brighter. Um, and it can be a, a pretty dramatic look the nice thing is if if you're using you know modern software tools and both of us like silver effects that dxo produces quite a bit um, you can replicate that look in the software and not worry, worry about changing filters on a camera which you know it worked but it was always a bit of a pain and you were also stuck with what your thoughts were at the time that you made right. the shot Right. Being able to undo and go back. Mm -hmm. And uh, so if you imagine a situation where you have a blue sky, well, with our modern tools, you can select that blue range. And 
when you convert it to, to monochrome, you can make those tones darker or lighter or whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons we like the Silver Effects uh, Pro 3 uh, part of the Nick collection is because it, it has software tools that emulate those, those filters, but it also has tools that let you just adjust tone range of individual colors. Um, and so you have a lot of control and then fun, fun things to mess with, um, mess around with, with contrast. So we thought we'd just mention some of our favorite, uh, sliders in that particular software tool. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll go first. The structure slider it. is uh -huh. one we've always liked. And that's a, it's a form of localized contrast. It brings out uh, texture. It brings out definition. It's easy to go overboard with it, but it's a really nice, it's a really nice tool, especially if you learn how to apply it just to local areas. Um, a couple that I'll mention that I'm going to mention together because I think they go hand in hand and have some similar characteristics, the dynamic br um, brightness tool and the soft contrast tool in particular. And I think those puzzle a lot of people. They're the kind of thing, things that are best played with to see what they do. But in both cases, those tools preserve the mid-tone area. So the brightness of the mid-tone area where the contrast level in the mid-tones is more or less preserved, but the stuff outside the mid-tones is darkened or lightened or uh, made more contrasty or less contrasty. And it turns out to be more useful than you would think. Mm -hmm. it, it, those are truly great tools that they put in there, in yeah, my opinion. Those, those are very nice. There's other things in there too, but those, mm -hmm. those are unique. And when it comes to should you do your processing in something like your regular, you know, whether it's Lightroom or whatever editor you might use mm -hmm. versus should you use a, a third-party plugin software? This is one of those cases where this plugin software has some stuff that does things um, that would be very difficult to replicate otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, could Could potentially do it if you're a Photoshop genius, but I prefer just to use the tool <laughs> that's, mm -hmm. that's designed for this trick. Um, and, you know, we like that. We like, you know, and, and so if you're, pra if you're playing with monochrome and you have something like a levels or curves adjustment tool, it's okay to bring the endpoints in a little bit and clip the blacks maybe and add a little contrast. Mm -hmm. That's that, that shouldn't deter you. Um, and then, Ansel Adams lived in a time where he had one negative, okay, that he mm -hmm. developed. And if you wanted, uh, you know, and then you'd make a print and you could make another print from the same negative. And that meant he had to replicate his dodging and burning in some fashion uh, for each time he wanted to make another copy of that same image. And an interesting thing happened along the way, which is that, you know, people's styles change. Yeah. And so prints that he had made earlier from the same negative would often be different than prints that he made later in his life with the yeah. same thing. Um, and that's kind of a nice reminder, right? Cause we have raw capture. It's all stored on your computer. You can go back and dust off old pictures and reprocess them using, you know, or maybe even converting them to monochrome, you know, it's just, yeah. So it's an, it's a nice thing to be thinking about the, to be able to go back, revisit things, maybe use new software on those, um, tools. But also like, deliberately you know. try something a little bit different too, mm -hmm. and just see how it works. 
Right. There's no penalty that, for trying. Yeah. You might decide, nah, that didn't really work. Or you might end up on a path of new way of um, shooting. Mm-hmm. Now, one, one tip I would throw out if you want to do that um, is to take advantage of, of tools that may be in your raw converter, tools that allow you to either make virtual copies or tools that give you uh, history states that you could save like versions or snapshots, depending on what, what they're called. That'll allow you to go back and even in some cases just do side-by-side comparisons of alternative processing that you may have done to the same image. And, and then you don't lose the work that you may have done earlier. If you want to go back to a previous version, having that saved can be very useful. Definitely. So one, one thing I think is a good tip too, um, you know, we talked about starting with color and then going into a tool like silver effects. Sometimes you'll want to punch up the color uh, a little bit unnaturally prior mm-hmm. to putting it into a black and white tool, just so that you can have even more separation of tones. Right. So, so don't think, of, don't forget about that as a, a, a way of enhancing your final images It'll feel a little bit weird temporarily. They'll probably look ugly, but they can be really great sources for black and white images. My my favorite approach to that has always been when I'm adjusting the raw image prior to sending it to a tool like Mm -hmm. Silver Effects, I like to make sure that my histogram is such that um, I I don't have any clipping in the the early phase. I want to have headroom a little floor and a little ceiling yeah. so at the ends of my histogram leave. if possible yep. Yep. Uh, that's not Same to say here. you won't clip it later because you will you will but, but but what you send over to your to your plugin software application should have as many of the tones preserved as possible and then just take the saturation slider and boost that up a little bit or vibrance or both mm-hmm. so you have a sort of an unnaturally saturated fairly low contrast image bingo and bingo. then these black and white tools will have more stuff to work with. And that could be as simple as um, uh, some tools have onboard black and white conversion. They'll give you sliders to adjust the tones. So for example, if, if you just in Lightroom, if you have an image and you just click the little button in the, in the uh, basic panel that says um, black and white, <laughs> it, it switches you over to a set of black and white tools. Now they're not as sophisticated as what some of these other software um, plugins have, but, but they still work and they still do the same thing. You know, another um, tool within silver effects that I like that wasn't in the um, earlier versions of the tool is the clear view to, uh, tool. Oh yeah. Which is nominally for, you know, cutting down on haze and stuff, but in reality, it'll do a lot more um, like all tools of that type. You've got to be a little bit careful with how much you use but when you have an image that for whatever reason um, just lacks a little bit of punch, it could be due to atmospheric problems. It could be because of a lens you were using, um, all sorts of things. That clear view function um, does a nice job putting punch in the image in a super easy fashion. You just move the slider a little bit. Right. And yet another reason not to overdo the contrast in your raw editor if you're going to use a third-party yeah. plugin like this. Almost all of the special tools that we've talked about are things that can blow your highlights 
if you don't do what we talked about, you know, and leave a little bit of headroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it takes a little practice, but it's, mm -hmm. it's good stuff. Now, one last thing, what about, you know, we don't make a ton of prints these days, you know, in, in Ansel's day, the print was the, the final, you know, that was the product. You made it print. Mm -hmm. That was where, where, you know, that was the whole idea. We, it we wasn't don't necessarily as holding a, a black and white negative up with a flashlight. Especially if it out. wasn't, wasn't processed. Right. So no, um, it'd be really bad. Exactly. So obviously the destination of most of what we would call a print would just be something that we output in maybe JPEG format and, you know, have it on the internet somewhere or whatever, in a web gallery somewhere. And that's, that's fine. But what if you wanted to make a, a print of your black and white image? One thing I found is that unless you've got a very a particularly dedicated type of home inkjet printer that uses multiple black inks, you're just not going to get a really great black and white print. Um, you, you just, the, the tone ramps aren't isn't smooth. Um, and if you do the CMYK type of thing where it's using the colors to emulate mm -hmm. black and white, they almost always end up with some kind of color cast in the midtones. It's just really hard to eliminate. So one, one workaround um, for that is to send your, your photos off to get printed somewhere else. Um, and there's one unique company that I've sort of had correspondence with way long time ago. They're still out there. They're in Massachusetts and they're called digital silver imaging. And, uh, what makes them unique is they have, they have, um, rasterized, uh, uh, raster, um, printers, uh, that, that expose, uh, photographic film, print film, uh, using just, you know, like a light, you know, like a line by line ras rasterize mm -hmm. this image, you know, kind of think of it like CRT scan lines, right? So mm -hmm. those thing will go through and, um, this, this imager and it will expose the paper. And then they process that paper using the traditional darkroom chemicals. So you can actually produce a silver gelatin print of your digital file. You just upload a TIFF or something like that to them and they'll do it. And it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I've, I've seen what they do and it's, it's a nice way to get those deep, rich blacks <laughs> look, look like. Yeah. And looping know. back to our original subject, you know, Ansel Adams, if you're ever able to, to go to a gallery showing of prints he made, not copies of them, like you see sold all over the place, but um, ones that he actually made, they are really beautiful. There's, there's definitely a, um, quality to them that just luminescent. They just glow and, you know, magical blacks, just beautiful. Good they, they're just indeed. stunning. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I don't care if he's become a little bit of a cliche. He produced some fantastic work. Absolutely. And so we just hope to derive a little inspiration from that. And we hope that we can get you guys inspired too, to, uh, whether it's black and white or just a, your approach to photography in general. And, uh, like we said, his three books, the, the camera, the negative, the print, uh, although they talk about specific techniques for film, they really do apply in terms of philosophically, you know, the philosophical value of those approaches are still absolutely usable and applicable today. Yep. So, um, once again, happy birthday to Ansel Adams and yep. until next time, happy shooting. All right. Bye-bye.